Hello, you are listening to Maghrib in Past and Present Podcasts. A space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Arts and Letters in the Maghreb and was recorded on June 4th, 2018 at the Centre d'études Maghrebina Tunis In this episode, Faraz Katolan, a PhD candidate at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, talks about a chapter of her dissertation entitled The History of Pan-Africanism in the Post-Colonial Period, the Pan-African Festival of Algiers in 1969. Hi, my name is Faraz Katolan and I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I'm working with professors Sheikh Babu, Yves Trout-Powell and Nizi Mudileno. I'm in Tunis for research on my dissertation, the last in my Maghrebi tour, which took me first to Morocco in January and February, and in Algeria in um, March and April, and to Tunis now. What my work is concerned with is the network of artists that emerge from three specific Maghrebi nodes of encounter between Black and non-Black African and diaspora artists in the mid-1960s to the late 1970s. These three nodes are the Journée Cinématographique de Carthage here in, in Tunisia, the JCC, the Moroccan literary journal Souffle, and the Pan-African Festival of Algiers of 1969, familiarly called the Panaf. Through my work, I aim to end the Maghreb's marginality in the field of African history by including Maghrebi actors into the scholarship on Pan-Africanism. Contrary to what many scholars of Pan-Africanism have assumed so far, racial distinctions bolstered by the colonial empires didn't prevent African writers and artists of the 1960s from reaching across the Saharan Divide, questioning what it meant to be African, and searching for the core of African unity and revolutionary ideals or poetic experimentations. And I'm not the first person to do this work. Scholars have done this before, but they've mostly focused on the colonial or pre-colonial periods. Um, and I'm really moving this kind of idea, this work, this trans-Saharan field to the post-colonial time period. And by centering my analysis on three Maghrebi nodes, I reveal that Maghrebis took part in the debate over African cultural unity and that race not, was not always the primary unifier. In Algiers, in Carthage, and on the pages of Souffle, artists and intellectuals attempted to establish the foundations of African unity while questioning the materials with which to build it. So in this project, I turned to the realm of writers and filmmakers to what my advisor, scholar Lidi Mudileno, calls the counter-colonial archive in order to disentangle pan-Africanism from negritude and reveal how Maghrebi and black African artists and intellectuals from the 1960s and 70s overcame colonial divisions between North and Sub-Saharan Africa. So my dissertation moves geographically from Morocco to Algeria and then finally to Tunisia. And the final part on the Journée Cinématographique de Carthage, the JCC. So today I will be giving you a taste of my third chapter, which focuses on the Pan-African Festival Algiers of 1969. In the summer of 1969, 5,000 people gathered in Algeria to celebrate the first Pan-African Festival. It was a cultural gala and a political caucus. Representatives from 40 African countries and radicals from around the world flocked to Algeria to support the country's fight against imperialism. At symposiums, in concert halls, in art galleries, the Black Panthers mingled with Tunisian musicians, Algerian activists, and Senegalese filmmakers. In the handful of articles about the festival, scholars, myself included, have presented this event as a momentous occasion for the continent as a gathering of revolutionary minds from across the globe. 
We've tended to serve the same anecdotes, those relating to the jazz musician Archie Shepp, for example, or the South African singer Miriam Makeba, or the Black Panthers. We have repeatedly implied that the liveliest debates took place in the Palais des Nations, the official symposium, between those who support the Negritude movement and those that abhorred the movement altogether. But the chapter that I'm presenting today sets itself in contrast to my previous work and those of other scholars on the Pan-African Festival of Algiers. It gives voice to those from Algeria and all over the world who felt that the festival actually functioned as a facade, erected to conceal the decaying ideals that had once sustained the Algerian revolution. According to the Algerian writer and actor Hossein Tanjawi, it was in the summer of 1969 that many young Algerians realized they were screaming into a void. Tanjawi remembers... All of these pretty people were coming to illustrate, to commemorate an African revolution that was counterfeit. And we contemplated our extreme solitude. He remembers this in a December 2017 interview that I led with him. While there was a spirited debate at the symposium, at the official gathering, between the proponents of negritude and those that opposed the movement, interviewees have time and time again dismissed this debate as passé, as a hollow shell. Instead, they emphasized the widening gap between the politicians and the poets, between those who were bound to an institution and those who were free to think and criticize in, these, in this decade following independence. To them, the festival represented, on the contrary, the end of an era of true revolutionary change. One last big hurrah before the descent into censorship and the narrowing of cultural possibilities. This isn't to say that they didn't enjoy the opportunities that the festival presented, but for the most part, they shunned the official gatherings and stayed in the cafes and bars along the Avenue des Douches-Mourades, the main drag in Algiers, or in each other's apartment. There, outside of the spotlight, away from the scrutiny of the press, they met other young resistors and materialized a community of belonging which they had been creating for a decade on paper or on air, through journals or radio programs. So this chapter is about what I call the Alt-Pan-African Festival, Alt-Panaf, the group of very young radicals who participated in giving the festival its Pan-African character from the margins. The central node I have identified in this network is the Algerian poet Jean Sénac. Jean Sénac does not figure in any of the articles on the Pan-African Festival, perhaps because he wasn't actually invited by an Algerian government with which he was on increasingly bad terms. And yet his diary for those 10 days of July 1969 is scribbled full of dinner dates, concerts and parties with poets and artists from across the globe. According to the Haitian poet René de Pestre, Sénac was the ultimate conductor of the Black and Maghrebi poets in the summer of 1969. He was the link. He was the person who brought them together. He organized parties at his house, recorded interviews for his radio show Poésie sur tous les fronts, and scheduled public poetry readings outside of official program of events. Jean Sénac is the perfect illustration of the rise and fall of poetry as revolution. Through the creation of radio shows such as his Poésie sur tous les fronts, Poetry en all France, he and other artists of his generation built a worldwide movement imbuing poetry with incredible revolutionary potential. Throughout the 1960s, the movement took strength from all of the voices that joined it, from Lusophone Africa, from the U.S., from the black diaspora worldwide. But in the decade following independence, this revolution of poetry increasingly ran against powerful post-colonial forces that attempted to consolidate the new nations and perceive poetry as a threat to the nation state. Scholar Kai Krinke, whose fascinating dissertation is in the bibliography, uh, the attached bibliography to this podcast, he argues that the silencing of voices of dissent through poetry was a worldwide phenomenon linked to the cultural cold war between the US and the Soviet Union. In Algeria specifically, until Houari Boumediene's military toppling of Ahmed Bedbella in 1965, Sénac was a favori of the system. 
But as the 1960s churned into the 70s, he was more marginalized and was eventually silenced for good. Sinek was born in the region of Oran to a poor woman of Catalan origin who had fled her hometown of Benicef after being raped in order to give birth in anonymity. Sinek grew up feeling excluded from the Pienoir population due to his poverty and illegitimacy. And perhaps this explains his rallyment to the independence cause, a position that cost him his friendship with his literary father, Albert Camus. Sinek was a poet, he was a socialist with an anarchist sense of humor, he was a lapsed Christian, he was a homosexual. But above all, Sinek was a prolific writer. He wrote on everything he could find. Bus tickets, toilet papers, city walls, cigarette butts. I found a series of cigarette butts in his archives that had like little scribblings of poetry on them. Sénac joined the FLN, the Front de Libération Nationale, while he was in Paris in exile. He took part in clandestine operations, such as creating the underground El Mujahid in Paris, the Algerian newspaper. He published the militant Matinale de Mon Peuple, and on the day of Algerian independence, he marked his calendar with a brilliant sun. Three months later, in October 1962, he returned to what he considered his rightful nation, Algeria, ready to take up his responsibilities as a poet of the revolution. And this is one of the poems that he writes upon his return, and you can really tell kind of um, the enthusiasm that inflects this poem for the revolution. And I'll read it in French. Ici, en Algérie, parce que nous écrivons pour un peuple de 12 millions d'habitants, ici, nous allons rompre avec le vieux monde égoïste, secouer nos semelles, tremper nos cœurs à la fontaine et chanter. Pour tout un peuple qui va reconnaître sur les stades, à l'usine, dans les cinémas, dans les douars, Oh, mes frères, l'Algérie démocratique et populaire attend que ses poètes lui parlent. Ils sont là, au front du peuple, pour lui. Ils vont rendre aux mots populaires la ferveur populaire. So you can sense some of the real enthusiasm for the revolution in this poem, um, and, the, and the sense of the responsibility of the poet towards his or her nation, and in the construction of that nation. And when Sinat got back to Algeria, he was greeted as a revolutionary poet. He integrated Ahmed Ben Bella's government as a consultant, the Minister of National Education, and he helped rebuild the Library of Algiers that had been burned down by the OAS, uh, l'Organisation d'Armée Secrète. An enthusiastic supporter of Ben Bella's government, he wrote poems glorifying the revolution and exalting socialist self-management. With this one famous line, tu es belle comme un comité de gestion, you are beautiful like a management committee. He animated two radio programs, Poète dans la Cité and Poésie sur tous les fronts in quick succession from 1967 to 1972, and he received plenty of fan mail. He published the first anthology of young Francophone Algerian poets in 1971. Boumediene's military coup of 1965 had significantly altered Sinek's relationship with the Algerian government and his outlook on the revolution. And as the 60s turned into the 70s, he didn't hesitate to critique what he saw as a slippage into dictatorship, into corruption, um, as this June 1970 diatribe against the Algerian publishing institution testifies. The SNED, and I quote, the National Society of Addition and Diffusion, more than ever is filth and a major crime against the spirit of the revolution. More than ever, dough and cops, censorship, cowardice, incompetence, disaster, a bureaucracy of losers. Crime, crime, crime. His friends and fellow writers, Katab Yassin and Malek Haddad, who they, on the other hand, were friendlier with the Algerian government, they eventually turned against him, starting to, to question his Algerianity. A really a sore point for Sinak, since he was from Kinoir origins, and he was always worried about, about being an outsider, a Gaudi. Broke after quitting the Algerian radio, Sinak moved out of his house at the Pointe Pescade along the coast and into a basement apartment in downtown Algiers, Rue Élysée Reclus, an apartment which he famously called his Cavigie. His poetry became increasingly dark. The revolution, it seemed to him, was lost. 
The hope and determination inflecting his earlier poems, like Poem Programme, the poem I read from earlier, had evaporated. He was left with an overwhelming sense of fear and despair. Sinek was assassinated in his apartment in the night of August 30th, 1973, and he quickly was buried and forgotten. The investigation into his murder, led by the Algerian government, produced no evidence other than that of a petty crime, potentially, some said, linked to his homosexuality, potentially a lover, although that may just be an excuse. The potential suspect was rapidly released. Rashid Boujedra, one of Sinek's pupils and friends, and now famous Algerian writer, wrote, Jean Sénac was the first victim of Algerian Islamic fundamentalism. He was stabbed to death in an atrocious way in September 1973 because he was a pied noir, because of his French origins. A symbol of multiracial and multireligious Algeria, Jean Sénac, the Gauri, was assassinated by fundamentalists out of hatred for intelligence and the other. Sénac was a crucial, somewhat fatherly figure on the Algerian poetic scene, as many poets of the generation below him would testify, amongst them Rashid Boujedra, Hossein Tanjawi, Hamid Nasser Khodja. But he was also a conductor, or one of the brilliant points on the network of Pan-Africanism, one of those that brought together. He was directly responsible for many encounters between poets of the Maghreb and poets of the African diaspora in sub-Saharan Africa. Some of these encounters were physical in the summer of 1969 at the Pan-African Festival Algiers, and occurred in Sinek's apartment. But before these face-to-face -face meetings, Sinek had already worked at knitting together poets from across Africa and the Third World, through his radio show, Poésie sur tous les fronts. As Jeffrey Burns talks about in his book, Mecca Revolution, Algeria, Decolonization in the Third World Order, which is also in the bibliography. And as famously, the Cap Verdean revolutionary poet Amilcar Cabral has said in his now infamous quote, Algiers is the Mecca of revolution of revolutionaries, members of liberation movements were a dime a dozen in Algiers of the 1960s. Sinak maintained relationship with most of the leaders of, of these revolutionary movements and had earned their respect. He became their relay on the radio. The goal of Sinak's radio show, Poésie sur tous les fronts, was to instill the poeto-revolutionary spirit into the minds of the Algerian people, to keep the flame of the revolution alive. Sinak thus started his show like this. Algerian brothers, here are your poets. Foreign friends, here are the poets of your people. Together we will live a moment of truth, a moment of trust. For poetry is truth, poetry is brotherly communication, poetry is light and game of trust, or it is nothing. His program was immensely popular amongst young Algerians. He received the equivalent of boxes of letter of fan mail from young admirers, some only in middle school, asking him to review their poems, ranting about how amazing and inspiring the show was. One such letter was from Hamid Nasser Khodja, a young poet. He wrote, and I quote, I haven't been listening to Poésie sur tous les fronts for long, but I'm already a fervent fan. Last week and yesterday, I heard and admired René de Peste's beautiful poems. The result, sir, is this. You would make me crazy with joy if you could send me the unpublished poems of René de Peste. I cannot get them. I do not have the means. Mohamed Khodja wrote Sinak that he felt himself relive when he heard the poetry of his brothers, and I quote, screaming their folly and their misery. Jafar Ait and Khassi Jervit, two high schoolers from Tizi Ouzou, wrote to request photocopies of his show, since the radio was forbidden in their high school. Poetry on all fronts, they explained, allows us to understand the reality that surrounds us and in which we dive body and soul. Russian poetry, black American poetry, national poetry never leaves us indifferent, but penetrates us and puts us face to face with problems that we have no right to ignore. Pretty eloquent for high schoolers. By 1969, Sinak had worked very hard to bring the voices of those whom Algerians had no right to ignore into the Algerian popular consciousness. To many non-Algerians, he was thus an entry point into the Algerian scene, literary or political. 
Many of the people who came to Algiers for the Pan-African Festival came to visit him first. They weren't all necessarily officially invited, but they came to see each other, to stand side by side, to exchange, to drink and smoke together in the cafes of the of la Rue Didouche Mourad, and to materialize encounters that had, up to that point, remained on air or on paper. In exchange, Sinek interviewed them and gave them prime time on his evening radio show, Poetry on All Fronts. In the summer of 1969, Sinek's bi-weekly show was an all-Africa affair. From Angolan poet Mario de Andrade to the members of Souffle, passing by Haitian poet René de Pes on the black American poets, such as Ted Jones, Sinek was determined to give as many listeners a taste of what a pan-African poetic community could look like outside of the stuffy walls of the official symposium. And perhaps in some ways, in his growing frustration with the Algerian political scene and the Algerian government, Sinek used the radio show in his interviews with these young revolutionary poets, such as Mario de Andrade, as a way to hand the revolutionary torch to those whose enemies seemed more clearly defined. Mario de Andrade, for instance, and his fellow Lusophone poets were still fighting the colonial power, the Portuguese empire, since the Portuguese colonies weren't decolonized until the 1970s. So their fight rekindled Sinek's faith in the revolutionary struggle. Angolan poet and founder of the MPLA, Movimento Popular de Libertação de Angola, Mario de Andrade, had been living in Algiers with his wife, filmmaker Sarah Maldoror, who's actually been to the GCC several times in Tunis, and their two daughters, since they had moved from Rabat in 1966. The Front Libération Nationale, the FLN, had become an important ally to the MPLA, and the Algerian government provided the Andrades with a white villa overlooking the sea in Bab el from there, Mario de Andrade was organizing the resistance to Portuguese colonialism and helping the Algerian government train guerrilla fighters. It's hard to know exactly to what extent Andrade and Senac hung out during this time period. Certainly my interviewees make it sound like the world of revolutionary poetry was a tight-knit community, but few traces are left of the exchanges between various members of these circles, as most of these conversations probably occurred in cafes or in restaurants, and most of the participants are now dead. I've only found a couple letters from Andrade to Senac in Senac's archives, and none in, in Andrade's archives. But both of the letters that I found in Senac's archives show a familiarity that comes from frequent encounters. And keep in mind that both of these characters traveled a lot and uh, had to move archives, so a lot of these letters were probably just lost in the moves or destroyed. Senac and Andrade had first met in Paris, probably around the time Andrade was collaborating with the Présence Africaine crew. It was Andrade who relayed Sinek's message poem to the first Congress of Black Writers of Paris in 1956, a message signed by a number of young Algerian writers who stood in solidarity with their Black African counterparts. Once again, Sinek was at the center of this solidarity effort between Algerians and the Black Congress, and this in September 1956, way before Algeria was anywhere near gaining its independence, and while other Pianois writers were shying away from making any clear declarations of support to the Algerian struggle, including uh, Albert Camus. Through his message poem, Sinek was not only outing himself as a resistor, as an Algerian, and as a victim of colonialism, but he was also working to create a united front with the black artists and poets. And this is the message that Mario de Andrade reads on Sinek's behalf at this congress in 1956. Salut aux écrivains et artistes noirs. Nous, écrivains algériens, Saluons le premier congrès mondial des écrivains et artistes noirs. Par le cri de nos fusillés, la douleur de nos femmes, et ce crime, l'amertume de nos enfants, les saluons par tout le sang de notre peuple sur nos phrases, par tout le noir de notre peuple sur nos mains de givre fou. Les saluons par l'espérance de nos morts et de nos vivants, par la misère souriante, par la dignité patiente, 
par la rage des prisons. Les saluons par l'avenir, par cette fleur inaltérable qui monte des corps mitraillés de nos étudiants trépanés, de nos villages bombardés. Les saluons par la réponse de nos peuples, de notre peuple à l'ignorance, par les mains déchirées de nos femmes de ménage, par le point du rebelle au bivouac des larmes qui ranime l'amour. Ô oh frères, si notre syntaxe elle-même n'est pas un rouage de la liberté, si nos livres doivent encore peser sur le dos du docker, si notre voix n'est pas un relais d'étoiles pour le cheminot et pour le berger, si nos poèmes ne sont pas eux aussi des armes de justice dans les mains de notre peuple, oh, taisons-nous Frères noirs, les écrivains algériens, s'ils osent élever la voix tandis que leurs frères tombent, c'est pour vous transmettre ce relais de l'espérance, cette petite flûte de nos montagnes où la liberté s'engouffre au souffle de l'homme et chante. You can tell from this poem that there's this clear solidarity and he's really trying to give a message of hope to the people at the Congress that for them too, independence will come eventually after all this suffering. Andrade read Sinek's message of support to the Congress and it was he and Franz Fanon who pushed for a reference to the war in Algeria in the first resolution of the Congress. Andrade, through his friendship with Fanon and Sinek, stood by the Algerian cause throughout the Algerian war. Sinek was clearly touched by, the, by Andrade's support and dedicated his 1961 poem, Angola, to Andrade. Mario de Andrade, my brother, he begins, I do not forget that at the darkest hour of Algerian history, you were by our side against the same enemies. In a manner similar to Césaire in Cahiers d'un retour au pays natal, Sinek writes of the decaying European civilization confronting for one last night, the strength that is Africa, that is Angola, that is hope and brotherhood. And this is his poem, Angola. Ils vont jusque dans les cimetières pour suivre la peau noire, blasphémer l'homme dans sa hauteur. Ils ne savent pas que la haine a déjà pourri leur visage, qu'à l'aube il n'en restera rien quand le soleil apparaîtra, et que d'un corps à l'autre, par-dessus les massacres, montera le chant, l'espérance, la force fraternelle qui détruit les remparts, afin que la cité soit rendue à chacun, le pain partagé, la liberté comme une orange. Ils ont peur, ils fuient en avant, leurs jours sont comptés. Qu'ils saccagent. Je n'écris pas de poèmes, j'oublie la douce odeur des mots. Ce soir, toute la terre en peste. Je vois l'homme frappé dans la paisible nuit. Je crie, je n'écris pas. Frère noir, je salue sur votre sang qui houle le fleuve rogue et généreux de l'Angola indépendante. So from the other side of independence, because this is 1961, and the other side of independence and armed struggle, Sinek was inspiring hope in the hearts of the Angolan people who still had 10 years to wait for their independence. He says their independence too would come. It was there at arm's length. In the summer of 1969, after over 10 years of developing a radical community with these lusophone poets, Sinek had clearly concluded that it was time to give the Algerian people another taste of the revolutionary poetry coming from the Portuguese colonies. Perhaps he was trying to revive the revolutionary spirit that he suspected was petering out amongst his people. He dedicated at least three of his shows from Poésie sur tous les fronts to the poetry inspired by Mario de Andrade, one in July and two in August 1969. Unfortunately, the recordings of the show have been destroyed and the paper traces are limited to a few pages that don't really fit together. The first few pages of one podcast, the last few pages of another podcast that I found in this box in Sinek's archives. But from the bits and pieces of the show that I've been able to cobble together, Sinek shows a boundless admiration for the work of poets such as Mario de Andrade or his counterparts, Amilcar Cabral. Acting as the relay of the Algerian people in a continent still quivering with the hope carried by the Algerian Revolution, the battle poetry, as he calls it, poésie de combat in French, battle poetry, this poésie de combat of Angola, Mozambique, Guinea, Cap Verde, 
he explains, will break the artificial boundaries of the African continent. They will actually break what they inherited from the colonial empire, this division between North and Sub-Saharan Africa. Whether they exalt the heroic gestures of the war or compose popular songs at the glory of national edification, claims Sinek, the poets, in either cases, are at the forefront of African unity. So again, Sinek is imbuing poets from Lusophone communities, really from all over the world, with this revolutionary potential, this potential to really change the world and to create a community, third world political community. Despite the fact that Sinek's position in the Algerian political world was becoming increasingly tenuous, and despite the fact that Sinek was not fooled by his government's revolutionary rhetoric throughout the Pan-African Festival, Sinek had clearly not lost all hope for the future of poetic dissent. Through his contacts with poets from across Africa and the Black diaspora, Sinek was tending to the movement of revolutionary poetics. He was connecting those in Algeria, his audience, like the young high schoolers that we talked about earlier, those that still valued the freedom to express resistance. He was connecting those people in Algeria to those in Lusophone Africa or other parts of the Black diaspora who were fighting hand and fist for the freedom to exist. Thank you for listening to Maghrib in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themaghribpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, like our Facebook page, Maghrib in Past and Present Podcasts, subscribe to the Semat newsletter at www.sematmaghrib.org, or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghrib Studies. See you soon for a new episode.